वेलकम टू सनटॉक द सनटॉक इज अराउंड द टेबल टुडे डिस्कस द पब्लिक प्राइवेट पजल्स विल थिंक अबाउट द प्राइवेट एंड पब्लिक रेल्म्स एंड द रिवॉल्विंग इन्फ्लुएंस ऑन ईच अदर हाउ आर द पब्लिक एंड प्राइवेट मैटर्स डिफरेंट कैन दे बी केप्ट सेपरेट or does the public always suffuse the private is development a public good how may private space be constructed or planned how does the idea of the self influence the way the world is can streets be privately owned are all non individual realms the realm of the state when do public institutions work well and what is the long term future of this public private dynamic we are pleased and privileged to have three sin talkers with us here today professor sudhir krishna swami he is a scholar of law and politics his recent work is on the impact of supreme court on progressive social change he is from azim premji university in bangalore Prasad Shetty he is an urbanist his work is on urban form and cultural dimensions of property he is from school of environment and architecture in bombay and professor sebastian poimer he is a development economist from the university of gottingen his work is focusing on links between poverty development and population health Uh, so Sudhir, why don't you set the ball rolling with you? Uh, maybe with um, some kind of a legal distinction, if you will, and whether or not it's sharp enough, and how hazy is it, if at all? Um, are these binaries, public-private? How does one think of it, or is one a subset of the other in some shape and form? What is it? How does one form a somewhat conceptual picture of these two notions? And maybe we'll go from there and um, see where we land up. Sure. So so lawyers have been thinking about the public private distinction for over a long period of time you could safely say 300 years and it usually configures in at least three ways the first is that public law is the law of the state uh, whereas private law is the law of citizens so some sort of distinction between the civic and the political the second sense is between public and private property where private property is primarily anchored around a right to exclude a resource that's marked out demarcated in some way and anyone who has a private property right can exclude others from that resource and public property which is a fuzzier idea it still has the idea of demarcation but its rights of use are more diffused uh, and in india most often we keep thinking of public property as state owned property Right. which is which we could have a different sense but and i'll just mention a third sense of the public private the third sense i want to mention is is between the private self and and the world outside uh, you know and feminists for a long time have been uh, going at law in some sense for its uh, public private distinction where it it would put uh, all issues of gender into the realm of the private which is somehow not uh, you know a subject to general principles of law or justice Um, But so there, even this idea of private in any of these three uh, ways that you took a look at it, are obviously why are the idea of the public right? They kind of do they come to being together as as no? I mean, they are they're coupled notions in some sense. Yeah, I think they're quite strongly tied. All these three senses of the public or private, because they, even the idea of the private is publicly granted, right? I mean, what does it mean? I mean, I cannot declare something to be private all by myself. There has to be some sanction for it. Um, Yeah, the only exception might be the third sense, where we may intuit that the sense of private selves uh, may not be uh, may not require a sort of public or state recognition. We might have a sense of private self outside of the state and the law, uh, but certainly public and private property or public and private law uh, is the creation of of collectives. It's the creation of um, a political society either through law or some other political norm right how how do you think of this prasad is how is the public produced i mean how does one how does it 
come to be now you've thought of urban farms and cities and public and private spaces and so on and if one were to look at it spatially for a quick second just to get a flavor for it i mean are these do they carry very different valences again are they of course space is space but how are they different you know especially i think the idea of boundary hmm. the idea of boundary is very very critical to to the idea of public and private and uh, uh, boundaries maybe you know real boundaries or imagined boundaries you know uh, they could be norms uh, they can be norms also as human beings we we make sense of the world through the idea of boundaries actually you know even when we think of unbounded space still implicit in that is the idea of boundary you know sure so the idea of boundary is very critical and i think for especially thinking uh, you know the idea of boundary kind of is what shapes uh, private the private and i i believe that the uh, private and public are simultaneous ideas they have to kind of you know come together they have to be produced together uh, on the other hand uh, of course but this I mean, boundary one, may be maybe fuzzy may not be very sharp it may be it may right. be and and it depends on the the form of the boundary that you know what kind of uh, transgressions or uh, what know, do you mean by form what do you have in mind the actual form of the boundary mm-hmm. it may be a wall it may be a door it may be a fort it may be a legislation it may be a legislation that kind of you know not allows it can be a rule you know between two tribes it can be it sure. can be a you know it can be a natural boundary a cliff or whatever i mean it depends on so the form of the boundary kind of you know shapes the way the uh, what is kept out and inside it and, and is it, there a there's obviously a constant negotiation between the two absolutely realms. absolutely so so in the field from where i come from you know in the, in the urban urban studies it it's always this, uh, there is some uh, uh, you know sacredness to the idea of public uh, and and the effort is always to kind of you know uh, keep preserve that public you know in in a way which or extend that public or to kind of you know uh give uh, you know uh, or or control the private in many ways so when and you say is, the public again what do you have in mind yeah, yeah, you have the parks and roads and streets or do you obviously you mean this in metaphorical ways yes, as well but yes public especially would mean of course all of those things parks and uh, sure. you know but public also in terms of commons in terms of common property in terms of resources in in terms of you know what kind of uh, in terms of uh, even access and accessibility to the resources and all of those things so so there is that you know uh, sacredness to the idea of public and 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 there is an effort to control the private also i also think public is also a produced idea you know it it is it's not an internal idea it's a produced it's produced in an ethic often it public is produced as an ethic public is produced as an object as object which needs to be kind of you know taken care of right. or needs to be provided for but public is also an ethic you know public is also as, a, as in as in something that is shared that is shared that is kind of you know that is uh, that is that shapes how you deal with the others right. that shapes how you deal public is also a strategy you know preserve the public space preserve the public you know you in the name of the public a lot of things can happen mm. you know so public is also a strategy and do you mean that with a with a sense of sarcasm or irony or or no that's the way public is produced no hmm. i mean public is i i believe public is a produced idea is a is a produced idea uh, one can trace historically uh, uh, you know from the idea of i mean one can think of you know uh, the idea of private consolidating through the idea of property what do a lot is? of privates make up the public or what Because no the, the, a lot of private it's not a, it's not a summation of all privates that make up the public it it can be but it can be also the in between the privates that is the sure. public or where the privates meet that is those a, norms those codes yeah, that space both yeah, especially or otherwise things, yeah. yeah what is it for you sebastian and obviously as an as an economist the the private individual or the private action has a very specific kind of meaning but mm. i mean as far as you think of it so what more generally and we'll make it rigorous as we go mm. what what is there a distinction how do you think of it between the private and the public realms yeah and i would like to start before um, we come to the legal definition because sure. like the legal 
distinction between private and public is uh, the outcome of a constitutional, of a political process. Sure. And uh, differs greatly between uh, between countries. Sure. Um, so how do we arrive there? So I think um, we arrive there by thinking about, okay, what's private? Um, private, I would say, is um, everything that I do as a person that does not... Um, impact somebody else. Impact somebody else, exactly. Um, that that I would consider private. So, so your realm of acting on yourself, uh, or at least not acting on others. Not acting on others and doing that by choice. That's important. Um, let me um, come back to Sudhir's example, gender. I, not everything that um, happens between um, husband and wife is private. And what happens um, between them at home um, that both consent to, yes, that's private, I think. Um, but um, like women's rights, like um, that's not all private. Like um, I think until the 50s in Germany, the um, the husband could quit um, the um, job of his wife if he was like unsatisfied with like her duties at home. Um, oh, he could quit on wife's behalf, or he could get he, her off the job. Yes, um, until not too long ago, I think it's like sixty or so years um, that this was um, changed. Right. Um, so at that time, this was considered private. Now it's not considered private anymore. It's considered a public issue. Um, so I think that's one important distinction to make. And then the other distinction to make is like the the aspect of choice. Um, what I do um, without impacting on others. But I choose to do that. For instance, if um, I um, I'm, I'm poor and uh, I uh, can't afford to treat um, a critical health condition, I don't think that's private. I think that's public too. So if um, there are things um, again, there's a certain kind of underlying philosophy in yeah. in you saying that. Exactly. So this is my my take on this. Sure. So um, the um, and where you draw the line. Um, that's then the decision a society makes. Yeah? Right. And, um, most societies uh, agree at least um, that uh, people have a right to, to food, they have a right to, to live, to be healthy. So that's certain basic um, basic, basic needs, basic human needs And that are covered. presupposes the existence of a state, a capitalist state, doesn't it? Not necessarily. Like, because um, right accorded, um, right from whom? Like, uh, yeah, it doesn't have to be a state. It could be um, arrangements, like um, cooperatives of, of it people. It could be within a community. It could exactly. be communitarian. It could be e exactly. some kind of a communal yeah. arrangement. In a way, these are um, comparable. Yeah, So a state... Um, like, like India or Germany or a village, um, they, are, um, they can both like, um, do the job. Sure. And is there, do you see that the idea of the public is, uh, if one thinks of it somewhat historically, mm -hmm. is it expanding? Um, I think it's um, going both ways, I mean, as, um, as strange as that sounds. So I think in terms of like civil liberties, the freedoms have expanded and like the involvement of the state of the the public has has gone gone down, yeah. So we I think enjoy much more um, civil liberties than our grandparents or great grandparents did. When it um, comes to um, like, for instance, like social welfare, um, I think the um, the role of the the public has increased over time, at least in in some in some parts of the world. Yeah? So from essentially no involvement to some, or even an involvement that's covering like the full set of basic needs that this society um, agreed on. And so, for example, if one were to think of it in the context of health, where mm. you've done some work, that's mm. one stark area, isn't it? Mm. Where yeah, you know, now there's such a notion as public health, which probably didn't exist. Mm -hmm. Definitely a few centuries ago. So now, br more broadly, whether it's a country, a state, or a society is responsible for yeah. for each other's health. Or exactly. And um, again, like the, the political question, like the and, and then the legal question. What then comes to the to the legal distinction between public and private is where you draw the line. Okay, what um, mm. needs to be taken care of by the public. So if the person is not able to to do it um, by him or herself. And how does one think of that drawing the line question? Is that, that's obviously, we, we've, we've hmm. discussed that these things are the not boundaries. sharp. The whole idea of boundaries. Um, how does one think of that conceptually? Well, Because at some level, it's also a pragmatic question. Now, yeah. It may be a very good idea to have public health for everyone, mm. but you know, every state mm -hmm. has whatever 
GDP or this and that, and there yeah. are a lot of these are trade-off questions, and you need to send your money this way or that, and mm-hmm. payoffs are of different kinds and so on. So exactly, and that's why it's a fluid um, thing. Like um, I, I guess, like the um, I think the other way to put that question is that if one were to think of it in development terms, mm-hmm. and let's if one were to be crude and think of it only in terms of GDP or something mm-hmm. like that, or you could correct me, as a country or a state or mm-hmm. a society develops. Hmm. does it have a direct impact on the way this whole public private distinction is thought of i know that's both a cause and an effect but how does how does yeah. that pan and out? i answer to that question yes and no sure um it has an effect because um, people um, decision makers political decision makers both like in countries as well as then globally for instance like institutions like the world bank they take um, GDP, growth of GDP, very seriously and think that it uh, makes differences. And um, this, for instance, like determines um, eligibility to certain certain programs. Like, for instance, like the participation like, in the Global Fund like, to fight um, like, tuberculosis, malaria, and HIV. That's mostly linked to, uh, to income level, GDP level of a country and not to the health needs um, because there's like this paradigm that GDP will will take care of these things automatically, um, but um, my own research actually shows that that's not true. Right. Um, we have studied like the um, the impact of um, economic growth on on childhood undernutrition, um, like stunting, for instance, like low um, low height for, for for age, and we see that the effect of um, of GDP on that is marginal. Right. And theoretically, um, there's a GDP means there's a potential for an effect. You have more resources if they trickle down to the households in need, then that could be used uh, to improve so the nutrition. In, so in your research, you would find that nutrition has obviously a direct impact on stunting, right? I mean, so. I mean stunting um, is um, something that's affected by nutrition and then also overall health status. Yeah, right. because if you're like sick for, for extended periods, that also affects your your growth in in height. Um, so GDP like gives like a potential both to the individual because there are more resources in the households and to the state because there are more resources in the hands of the state. But our um, our study like like a study for um, with like a half million children globally um, for a large number of low and middle income countries like showed that this is not the case. Like the the real life impact is very low, meaning that these potential channels were not um, working. Yeah, I mean, they're there theoretically and the resources are there, but they did not automatically uh, lead to improvements in childhood undernutrition. I think that's um, why I think GDP is not as important as most people think it is. Um, it creates a potential, but then when you just lay back and do nothing, um, nothing will happen. That's interesting. How do you think of this, Sudhir, this link between the, the political underlying assumptions and the legal frameworks that come to be? Is there... Is there a strong coupling that can be thought of uh, yeah. in a robust kind of way? And uh, I'm not sure that that one can be very definite about it, but I think we can we can certainly put more uh, you know put sharper emphasis on what might be happening. Mm. I'm thinking about uh, Prasad's point about boundaries, right? Mm. Why do boundaries shift mm. and uh, o- over a particular resource or a particular um, action, we might at one point think that these were private actions. Uh, and now we might think that these are public actions. I'm thinking of the way the gender movement uh, has has moved issues of the private into the public. The Me Too movement is probably another example of a you know a very radical outing strategy uh, so to the, make. So at the most fundamental level, it's the notion of the self itself, right? It is the notion of the self, but I think there's this more at work. And let me just suggest that whether one looks at public or private property. A similar boundary shifting happens, um, and and in public and private law, I'm just uh, building on Sebastian's idea that at one point in time we might have thought that health was something that private individuals should look after, and at a certain point in time we say no, we need a public health system, uh, and we might say that states must provide that. And why does that happen? So clearly there are political and cultural logics, maybe economic logics, you need the resources to be able to make some provisions. But um, what's interesting to me is that then the, the political and cultural norms at large, or at least in that very small area of our lives, are shifting. And the activity stays the same, but it falls into a different bucket. I'm thinking of climate change, you know, in a way that now the the food that you consume um, the the vehicles we use, 
Um, and these kind of questions, which would conventionally have been thought of as private questions, right? Uh, really, is someone going so, to? So, what remains private? That's the that's that's shocking. because you know it seems like there is a little bit of this uh, overgrowth of the whole idea of public, right? Well, which mm. may be good, mm. may be bad. I don't know. But is there such a thing as a private domain? I I would. What's the what's the necessity for demarcation? I think it, it's you know, obviously the way housing is, for example. I mean, I don't know how people lived five thousand years ago, but there are reasonably sharp boundaries and walls. Today, as things stand now, obviously, it doesn't mean that it's all demarcated. I I don't know what the right site is to carry this question to, and how one thinks about I, it. I I don't have a full response, but I have a half response, mm-hmm. and my half response is that I wouldn't posit that there is some public utopia where all things are public. Um, so, what can we be resolute about that is definitely private? Uh, clearly, uh, we take the realms of belief and and opinion to be. Um, sharply private mm-hmm. um now we we can think what we think can we act on it um clearly the acts that we previously thought were private acts mm-hmm. suddenly have manifestly public consequences and are subject to public norms um so which maybe where, maybe where, maybe yeah. you're pointing to a shrinking sense of the private mm-hmm. in that sense i want to get if you know pointed the range of the private you know right it 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 probably ranges from the idea of territory to the idea of property you know in the territory the one thinks of the national territory so to say or the tribal territory you know where where it could also be a zone or a region it it, it doesn't need to have very sharp that, that's hard what I'm saying. that's a boundary wall yeah but it can also be in the realm of the imagination sure the But Where it could the, also be temporarily configured to yeah, come and go. Yeah, but in in the idea of the territory, the public is the private. You know, I look at, I do not allow somebody to enter my country. Sure. You know, it's another. Yeah, it's, it's an, another. It's another. Yeah, another kind of person. Yeah. Yeah. In in the in 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 the property, the private becomes the public. uh in a very uh you know whatever happens in the house is the domain of the house is is within the people of the house i can do whatever i want the idea of whatever i want is can happen inside the house you know so that autonomy of the house inhabitants which is the autonomy sought in the idea of the public is something which happens in the, the idea of the so but again is, that depends on the nature of the household so so yeah. so it so what i'm trying to say from where you you know public and private gets articulated through many uh, many th- from many uh, uh, you know conceptual uh, frameworks from the idea of shame from the idea of property from the idea of family from the idea of nationality you know from a variety of and and i don't think there there is a public which includes everybody you know there 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 is there has never been a public which includes everybody you know so it's a, these are ranging uh, you know there are legal uh, you know ways to kind of think about it for legal purposes but there are also ethical moral societal cultural uh, ways to think about it which are which are also very kind of you know which which from where we see uh, see the society broadening the idea of uh, how do you kind of you know uh, look at how does one think of it spatially prasad now you 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 work so in charles would, for example I would, right you know especially uh, uh, it it becomes very interesting and i would i would go back to the idea of uh, you know the imagination and uh, idea of boundary and there's a small instance you know when uh, when uh, uh, you know mansing when he hesitated you know akbar asks mansing to go and uh, uh, establish post in afghanistan you know and man singh uh, being a being a hindu uh, hesitates to cross the sindhu river because and and sindhu river becomes a boundary for him because how can a hindu you know hindu would lose his religion if he crosses uh, you know the sindhu river and that time akbar writes a two line uh, poem and sends it to man singh and the poem is like this you know सब है भूगोपाल का द होल वर्ल्ड बिलोंग्स टू गॉड इसमें अटक कहाँ वेर आर द बाउंड्रीज हेयर जिसके मन में अटक हो माइंड हैज अ बाउंड्री 
वो अटका रहा विल रिमेन हिमसेल्फ टू बी बाउंडेड ऑलवेज यू नो सो देर आर टू थिंग्स वन इज द आइडिया बाउंड्री इज एन इमेजिंड आइडिया टू दिस आर दिस आर एस्पिरेशनल चेंजेस यू नो दैट दैट कीप शिफ्टिंग द वे द मुगल एम्पर लुक्स एट boundary as against you know that that expansionist you know that that, that the, the imp, uh, emperor you know the imp, uh, the imperial notions of boundaries which is which is all and everybody expansive like huh, expanding yeah as against you know the, the idea of a boundary for somebody else and of course then mansingh goes and establishes the post and this thing but boundaries also have an interesting kind of a physicality to them for example the idea of the chawl that you spoke about So at least in the realm of property or real estate it is it's either private or public but but again it's not only private right there are all kinds of tenancies there have is seen, joint yeah, ownership exactly exactly is, i mean only so, in a only in a very modern sense of one property one name is where you can find this idea of very clear idea of property indian land or properties about multiple tenancies simultaneous tenancies so many people subletting to each other and all of those things but but a little bit more about this idea of you know boundary and i want to kind of come back to this idea of chawl because you know we met this guy an old man you know in in a chawl unit a chawl chawl is a uh, industrial housing where you have rooms of uh, you know uh, 10 feet by 12 feet or 15 feet next to each other each one of them being one house and these are all connected by corridors on two sides on one side and that they share common toilets and common staircases we found when doing my field work i found this old man in one of the rooms sleeping and apparently he's been sleeping there for 3 years and then you know you <laughs> you 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 think how has he's been not well you know and how is kind of you know how how does how does he's been not well and he's been sleeping there on the same bed for 3 years he's not in a hospital he's in in his house and then you see look around and you see the doors are always open there are doors on both sides constantly there are people passing through the house every morning somebody comes and says hello and every afternoon somebody gives food and you know eats with him and everything the architecture is an architecture of care really you know the boundaries are fuzzy there and in a way the outside is spilling inside and and vice versa exactly so so the form the boundary has a capacity to create the privateness or publicness the nature of boundary the form of the boundary really shapes the the nature pri- of flows the right na- nature of flows and and in turn the private and the public sure you know so it as against as against a clear boundary wall uh, you know uh, that you see uh, in a irrigated community you know as as an economist are there layers between again how are there pit stops between private and public between totally private totally public i know these are yes. imagined notions and this and yeah. that so there are obviously artifacts in our heads and ultimately the line um, is um, a result of a political process sure um and um i don't think that for instance like it's possible to uh, to draw that line spatially i i don't think the house is private um and um for instance i mean i could um, like flush like some poison down the toilet in my house it's not private like the um because it will contaminate water and um i um could like paint um symbols on the wall that object um, that offend other people sure that's not private so and in a way there is the public suffused into the yeah. private domain as well and uh, the interesting question is okay what kind of objection other people have like with respect to my actions is a reasonable one i mean um because in for anything i do we'll find like a person in the world that um, is not happy with that and that feels okay <laughs> that his or her rights uh, are um, limited or offended by by my actions yeah so we we have to decide okay where do we where do we draw that that line now again you used the word rights a few times sebastian mm-hmm. but clearly the whole idea of rights cannot exist if there are only individuals the idea of rights exists when there are individuals and some kind of a collective with which there's some kind of a social contract right Exactly, and these rights can be informal. Yeah, so they sure. um, don't need to be defined. It could be norms, like we discussed a while ago. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, what about uh, this whole business of property? Is is asset ownership itself crucial? Now, obviously, there are, um, you know, mm. you, we've touched upon joint tenancies and this and that and so on. Mm. As far as 
if one were to think of it from an economic growth standpoint mm-hmm. is does ownership itself can ownership itself be a cause of change i think ownership um, is very important um, and at the same time can be a problem mm-hmm. um, so um, i think ownership is is necessary so that like someone like the owner feels responsible for taking care of the thing that he or she owns and to use it productively to um, enhance like society to uh, to bring society to the next level yeah, so ownership um, and the person will only do that if um, it's if there's a, a private benefit too yeah there's alignment um, exactly and um, and therefore in the case of r&d for drugs and so on yeah, right exactly in some ways yeah we want companies to um, to to develop new drugs to treat diseases that we can't treat and then earn a lot of money with that that's okay yeah because um, without this incentive we wouldn't have this innovation but at the same time we um, also want to um, to to limit like the um, the ownership in a way where it can become dangerous for society yeah the monopoly risks exactly so well but not everything can be done privately nor can everything be done publicly right mm-hmm. so how does one think of that so the intellectual property patents and so on right and what yeah. are the so so i would um, i'll try and be uh, sharp about it in this way that i think that in 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 the relationship between the quantum of private and public property we're striving to achieve some sort of ratio some kind of a ratio you're yeah. right and we have we we have an intuition that a particular amount of private property that is incentivized the creation of which is incentivized uh, and is a good idea and that we must regulate in that direction and that will create as long as those kinds of private property have a way of enhancing publicness or lapsing into being becoming public property as we do with intellectual property you know we have term limits at a certain point in time it becomes public knowledge not privately owned so I, my sense is that generally speaking so uh, the broader uh, responsibility or whatever is still towards the public is this yes the orientation is how do we how do we enhance the public uh, so if, if for example with parks right we might say that 25% of a uh, Uh, a layout in a city must have common parkland uh, and and how do we arrive at that ratio we 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 think that that contributes to well-being generally and so we have that kind of idea of ratios but when we talk about private property alone i think we have a more complicated idea of distribution right so it's mm. it's not it's not just about how much private property you have but how that gets distributed um and here of course we have many theoretical accounts of what is the best distribution uh, um and different political ideologies about distribution uh, but that's what we But you mean what what you mean distribution of income distribution of wealth distribution of productive assets it it could be all of those a, a, a full theory of justice would be a, a theory of justice that accounted for the distribution of property of income and of wealth uh but even if we stay with property for the moment we at least have some idea of basic minimums now the basic minimum of the nordic world might be very different from the basic minimum of india but we have an intuition that everybody is entitled to some basic minimums and over and above that too we have concerns about inequality and some reasonable distribution so so that's the way i was thinking as as you were just uh you know discussing this with sebastian that we have both ideas at work you know some mm. idea of ratio uh, between public and private and then some idea of distribution even among the private and I, to my mind these are not connected necessarily they mm. they the two different intuitions at the time dimension to ownership to the right to own assets then um inequality and potentially a very unbalanced distribution are a natural result of that and um that's another problem that um ownership of assets can create it's not just the monopoly power or in general market power that is a problem but um that time will allow an extent of accumulation that, that compounds forever that we that we uh, consider unfair and and maybe we um How, what does one do about that because ownership is absolute isn't it it's forever exactly so i, I think mm-hmm. for for the individual um the um the the ownership i having like um like some security like in terms of ownership and property rights is is important um, for the accumulation process but but maybe we can draw the line like when this um 
ownership is like passed from one generation to the next. Maybe not a hundred percent, but uh, maybe parts of it. Yeah, because if if you don't draw a line at some point, the accumulation process, um, if it just happens over a long enough period, like will end up in a rather potentially extreme. Um, extreme distribution. Yeah? So when the which is why there are upper ceilings of different kinds for private ownership, isn't it? So if there was some really rich person, you can't just turn up and buy all the land in the world, and while some people can afford to. So there are. So. so. But are there really ceilings? I'm not sure about that. And the um, and th there are limits to like how much education you can accumulate. There are limits to um, like how how healthy you can be. I mean, um, there, but um, but there to, are to, limits to how much uh, land you can accumulate. Like at, at least in some societies, yeah, yeah. land. I mean, yes, it's like the, the all the land in the world. That's like the upper <laughs> ceiling. Yeah, but um, that's uh, sorry, that's that's the ceiling. Um, but in terms of um, of um, money uh, or other resources that are not limited, like I don't know, natural resources or so. I don't think that there is like a But um, a you would know this, you're an economist. Wealth itself is not a limited number. I mean, wealth has an ability of growing. Exactly. Right? So The amount of wealth in the world in 2019 is much higher than the amount of wealth in like 300 years ago. Exactly. That's where there's no ceiling. Exactly. Um, and there's like a ceiling today, but there's no ceiling... Uh, conceptually. Um, conceptually. I mean, there could be wealth creation happening forever. Exactly. And I think one of the things you've touched upon, Sudhir, which I find rather interesting, is that while there is this, let's say, the domain of the individual, the somewhat mm. private domain, and the domain of the state, but that there is stuff between the two as well, mm -hmm. right? So not mm. everything which is non-individual is the domain of the state, right? W would you agree? I, I think so. I, I, I think that thinking about that is a very important reflex for India, and I'm sure, I'm, I'd love to hear about Sebastian and Prasad find in their fieldwork and both of you have done fieldwork in such different parts of the country because my my um, my sense here is that uh, and it, it's almost an Indian cultural and political reflex that if we are dissatisfied with any private ordering uh, then we we think that the state must either step in or, or literally own the space you know and um we all know that in in a empirically accurate account of other worlds, I, I mean other countries in the world, that there are senses of publicness that are non-state publicness, and in our own traditions, political and cultural traditions, we have had a, a long history of collective mobilization that mm. is not political and not state-based. Mm. Uh, and despite the fact that we have a failed... Anyway, the idea of the public came much before the idea of the state. That's right. At least in the current modern state. Mm -hmm. and true, and, and, and in India as well, I think, uh, mm -hmm. to, to a large extent. But, but I think a post-1947 maybe mm -hmm. uh, reflex is that if that the state can do it, despite the fact that we have a lot of evidence that we have a failing or a flailing state, uh, we still keep going back to the idea that the state can somehow... Uh, fix this without investigating what are those other public mm. modes that or, or, or institutions that we need to build. But I'm sure that all of your field work has 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 a lot to do with this. I think the other very interesting thing is Prasad. Like I think so, they touched upon this whole idea of ratio. And now, in the domain of planning, for example, it becomes a real question. Now, if you were actually building like an area or a city or a township or whatever, right? It could be any, anything. Uh, ab initio from the ground zero. How does one think of these ratios? Mm, it, it, I mean, now, it, you I mean, could say that it starts with trial and error, it settles somewhere over no, iterations, I, but uh, how do planners, your co-colleagues, uh, I mean, how does uh, the world uh, think about planners it? Planners think that they can, uh, you know, they can influence the way cities happen. But you know, planning uh, doesn't work. Planning, <laughs> <laughs> cities are, don't get made by plans, actually. They're emergent you know, beings. They, they, they become, they happen, actually. And uh, uh, I think there are a lot of lot of fuzziness in the way uh, you know public and private. What can be planned? Can what, anything be planned? Uh, you can plan your house and your life and stuff like that, uh, which are kind of you know whenever it enters uh, the boundaries of somebody, some other uh, you know uh, some other energy, then it has to negotiate constantly. So 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 so, I see I see you know urban realms or city realms more as 
continuums, not of public and private, but continuums of space and energies, you know. So that's that's a way to kind of, and I'll, I'll explain you how, wh- wh- why I'm saying that. The group of friends, urbanists from Delhi, who kind of were thinking about this idea, and they came up with this term nishastaga, which is which is which is very super interesting. Nishastaga. Ja- nishastaga. W- what is that? Yeah, is that I'll, like a I'll, Sanskrit just, word I'll, or what? They call it an Arabic Urdu word, but I think they invented it themselves. It's a neologism. They <laughs> yeah. created it. But but what is interesting is the way they spoke about it. You know, it's against jagah. You know, as a private entity. There are spaces so in the jaga city. Jagah is place in it. Jagah is place. Yes. So as against, you know, a group of friends would come and sit in front of a shop and have tea every day. And that space starts getting associated with these people. So it's a temporary, it's a temporary private, space. private space. And cities get made by that. So whenever this this one of these friends come during that time when it's supposed to be occupied, the others who are sitting over there would, you know, adjust themselves to allow and accommodate these guys so to come and sit. here the production of this private is via ritual. Yes, exactly. Through a practice. Through a practice. Through a practice. So the private is produced by a practice. The public is also produced by a practice. And I think here, your ideas of what you were trying to do earlier, you know, the rights and responsibility. You know, private tends to be in the realm of the rights Public tends to be in the realm of responsibility. That's, I, you know, I know you're you being know, tentative, but yeah, that's that's kind of nice. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So 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 I think I think I think I'm I'm more in this in this idea of practice, which kind of produces the city and also kind of you know produces public and the private, but also confuses the public and the private, makes it fuzzy and makes it you know more interesting and probably unclear. How do practices? become laws, right? Because law is this reasonably rigid beast and I know it depends on which conception you take and, you know, it's it's it's, it's not frozen, it's evolving all the time, but there's something fixed about law, at least semi-fixed, at least for a while and for a point in time. Yeah, so so what, one thing that, and I, I, I'd be curious to see how Prasad thinks about it, is that I, I find oftentimes in urban studies, uh, or at least a certain type of urban studies, but also in anthropology uh, and uh, similar cognate disciplines that we look at practices carefully and intensely. We appreciate them for what they're doing, but it seems to me, in a very subtle sense, we also valorize these practices because we we think that these forms of private ordering, you know, your 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 street cafe, uh, have somehow a greater organicity and they 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 they're just somehow more valuable than other forms of ordering, right? Whether that be state ordering or some community ordering. And my... my I think uh, the question is whether they're the same species. Now, could a nation-state come to be why obviously as many, many similar practices? Or, you know, I, I don't know. The aggregated mo- together? The or- moment we... I guess there is the human scale of the street cafe where this kind of organic ordering and aggregation can take place. The moment we increase scale, we lose the organicity, right? And so I think... How can we say? Yeah, no, because the moment Mm. it's 20 people negotiating their space... But maybe that's how tribes uh, mark their territories out. Maybe at 20. And I'm and I'm suggesting that at, with with you know with every a number that we add, uh, the the intuition of a field researcher or, or at least of some disciplines is that we're losing some authenticity here. You know, mm-hmm. we're, there's something that we're that we're letting slip. And here's my sense. My sense is that, like for example, the private cafe, and I'm just going to riff on the example. Sure. What if it were an exclusively male space? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a male space of those who'd like to smoke cigarettes and drink tea. And in our valorization, we, you know, what norms are we mobilizing there? And 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 most. Well, whoever is not in that club can do that thing elsewhere. So. Yeah, you might say that, or so you might say that... It's not necessarily exclusionary, if that's where you're going. Right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Or one might even resist that, you know, as a field researcher, one might say, hey, I'm not even valorizing it. I'm just describing this to you. But my sense is that in, in that kind of account, there is this polarity between somehow the aseptic, oppressive public norm, the law, or the political norm... Uh, and the organic, authentic social norm of a small group, 
uh, that is somehow so much more it valuable. It feels more poetic. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, I agree with Sudhir actually completely. And uh, uh, you're absolutely right. Usually it is men having tea and smoking. And usually it is very gendered. Mm-hmm. It's right actually. It's, he's absolutely right. Well, and, that's and, fine. And, 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 we know women hang out in and, kitchens. And there, <laughs> no, no. And there exactly is where we need to be tactically kind of mobilizing the discourse of public. And there is where we are you're producing the idea of public as a strategy to deal with such spaces, actually. Right. So public, again, is, a, is I, I think mm. of it as a, as a produced concept, produced as a strategy for variety of things, you know, variety of places and variety of... Uh, uh, and uh, I agree with you completely, you know, there's like a... Uh, so, it's, it's true. so, so you wouldn't rule out the the value of the public norm. Absolutely, right? yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I only thing is that I, th- I think public norms are also, uh, you know, they're also fuzzy. You know, I worked with the, I worked with, for example, I worked with the uh, government for several years. Well, you can't legislate that this shall be public, this shall be private. You know, it's, it's, it, 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 it better reflects something real. It works in a very different way. You know, I worked in a planning firm. And this planning firm was responsible for for building the entire neighborhood, which was a business, uh, sure. which, is, which is a business district. And you know, they they somehow forgot to, you know, to understand that people also need food, you know, to when they <laughs> when they when they get into this workplaces. So what happened was, I mean, they, they, there were there were canteens in these buildings, but they were expensive, and there were there were a lot of people who would pass through these buildings who who did not have food. So a group of hawkers came on the street and this planning firm of mine, the government institution, you know, for it, the the hawker were a complete no-no because how can you serve food in, on the street because, you know, safety and the whole uh, mm-hmm. regulatory issue. They tried to evict them. There was a huge human cry. Then, you know, by the people. So then... The planning firm said, the planning organization said, we'll allow 20 hawkers, you know. And then <laughs> a, a certain list was made of these 20. You know, the, the list did not mean anything. They were numbered. Sounds one, two, like three, the opposite four. of organic. Exactly. <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. This is, this is the way the list was made. And, then, and each of the hawker was numbered. Now, this number became a... Uh, a kind of a kind of a number which which identified the hawker with that space, which created a sense of property. And today, if you go, this number has been sublet, has been you know right. subdivided, all, all range of properties kind of you know practiced. But the number doesn't mean anything to do with the property in a legal sense. But right. it is kind of just by them being protected. So I think I think even within the legal realm, there is a fuzziness and and. And I think I think there is a value to it being very clear as well as very fuzzy. You know, I, I think I think we need to kind of see the way what works where. Where are you on this planning question? Because I think some of what uh, what we've discussed so far, and, and you know, I think when we talk about this distinction, one kind of almost imagines intuitively that you know it's it's a question of deciding whether it goes here or there. I actually would like to come back to the um, example of men uh, hanging out and drinking tea and smoking together. I think it really matters a lot how you how you get there. And if you get there because you um, make a rule that women are not allowed, I don't think that that's private really. Right. Like you could make a rule that, okay, black people are not allowed or you could make a rule that like blonde people are not allowed. Or I, I think we, we have to, to recognize I mean, that all of us, we have many, many identities and if we start to exclude one, um, that, that's a problem. And most importantly, I think we have more identities in common than um, we, we have not. And, um, and so the similarity is always more than differences. I, I would say so. And um, we are more hung up on the differences and talk more about them and, and use them to, to justify all sorts of things, like like wars, terror, justified by differences. But maybe that's the only difference we have. Yeah, we, we're human beings. Like we um, have certain hopes and dreams in life. Like we have certain beliefs and, and probably more beliefs in common than, than not. Um, and I, I think for that reason... Um, I think it's dangerous like, to um, to to demand such private rights to exclude. Maybe at your home, yes, and you can decide who your friends are. But um, if there's like a, um, 
like a, a public space like where like men can come then um, why shouldn't women come there too mm-hmm. yeah i think a lot of these are questions of uh, how one does the analogies right mm-hmm. um, and if if one is um these are complicated questions because if 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 you had a group that i don't know like the the boundary the borders of a country are are not the same as the borders of a family um mm. in many ways you know maybe you don't want to let uh, and with the countries it's a more complicated story because i know think like if it's just about going there it's really not um okay to to exclude people from going there but in reality it's more than going there in reality it means you participate from the resources and and there i think okay there's like some justification to say okay we only want to share these resources to a certain extent i think which that's which is where this rights and responsibility tug mm-hmm. of war comes back in again and you know mm-hmm. one word which hasn't come up today is tax now mm-hmm. you know while we've discussed land and property and so on obviously mm-hmm. there's a way in which if we had productive capacity and if there was mm-hmm. a way in which you kind of gave something to whatever this collective was then mm-hmm. that's one way of mm-hmm. you know call it by your way or schmooze your way or uh, you know impress your way but that mm. that that's the way you become part of a club I and mean, that's the way mm. at least one would think of it somewhat commercially would you agree mm, to to some extent i mean tax i think is like two um two justifications like one maybe three maybe number one um, is to um, to limit the accumulation process a bit sure to avoid very extreme um, outcomes secondly to uh, change uh, market outcomes themselves like for instance like if um, i'm polluting the environment with my production then um, a tax might help to um, to reduce the pollution and to get to the social so the optimal assumption is that your private actions may be causing an externality and you need to pay for it in some way uh, exactly yeah so um, that's the uh, the other justification like to to achieve like the socially optimal and not the individually optimal outcome and the third one is to um, to to like to collect resources to to fund things that are otherwise wouldn't be funded yeah um there are so tax is one kind of a tr- interesting way of trying to achieve this alignment between the individual and the social exactly are yeah. there others um yeah you don't have to organize this through taxes you um, can um, organize this also by setting a certain set of rules and uh, regulations um and um, thereby um come from the individual optimal solution to the socially optimal um solution um like for instance like the uh, like the um, emissions trading is a, is a good example for that sure. there the emissions are not taxed sure. but you have like a certain right to pollute and um but again that's a market solution which is totally fine it is a market solution yeah but not uh, one through taxes sure um and um some people would argue it's more efficient because for the tax you need to know what the cost um, is that is created by the by the pollution for the trading mechanism you don't uh, need to know that like the market solution will figure that out itself that's the advantage i would say of of that solution towards the, with respect to the tax is the um, where, where is where are we headed so the year where are we headed if one were to think of this with a somewhat long arc so, if, so if you put your political philosopher hat on this i i i i'm i'm going to uh, try and work off practical example and then maybe uh, cast it in a wider frame uh, but i suppose that um thinking ahead i don't think that the public private puzzle will go away but i think it's being reconfigured quite rapidly i i mentioned a couple of things midway through i said gender is changing the idea of what are private norms sure uh, very rapidly and and it's quite remarkable i think and a remarkable success of doing that i think that in the next 10 next quarter of a century climate change is going to change our norms of uh, what is private and public in an equally significant way uh, what we eat what we wear how we travel and, and all kinds of consumption practices but what i find strange is this in both of these uh, in gender or in climate change uh we see an enhanced focus on public norms right that we we think that are public norms about behavior and conduct um which which eclipse our private uh views on on where conduct should go 
at the same time you mean, are, you mean it as, as it, it being seen as some kind of an infringement on individual freedom that's right i sure. mean clearly there were people in the 1940s some might say prompted by big tobacco who who thought that being asked not to smoke uh by by public health advocates was an infringement of their rights to smoke sure um and in the same way i think gender shifting norms climate change will shift norms in in all of these there is some impinging of the idea of a personal autonomy to act we need not change our beliefs are these, are these always at odds with each other i think this I mean, they they often seem to be but i'm just trying to I, see whether I, it's I, always i suppose that till the realm of the self is reconfigured totally that we don't think that certain norms say the norms of sexual harassment right if unless it it reconfigures the way a next generation even thinks about uh, intergender relationships in that case there it will not be seen as a constraint on freedom uh, but given current norms sure they certainly um, they certainly so i mean one can take a long arc on the transformation but presently it would be seen as some sort of constraint but what i'm struck by is that in other realms uh, looking ahead now you're still saying i don't know whether your frame is 50 100 let's let's just well, cast 50 100 any, 200 years uh, yeah um looks like the job market labor market is changing factories and and large production centers uh, are under some stress it's not clear to me that they will all go away but with automation maybe a good good number will go away so the 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 factory floor was in some ways the site of 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 uh, publicness and 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 also your sense of ownership over a job and and income if that goes away and we are all freelancers in a gig economy i don't it in a sense enhances the private right so now we are all left to our own wits and we must earn our daily bread and so on at the same time we see a radical shift in ideas of both home ownership and vehicle ownership right where we think that we don't need to own these things these are all things that we must either lease or rent uh and and that's a pretty significant shift in a sense the aspirational norm of home ownership and vehicle ownership and vehicle ownership in india today i think is still a huge aspirational norm um and let's ask the economist on this is 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 that world different a world where it's rental heavy as opposed to ownership heavy now it could be for certain kinds of assets um um how, how does it change the world fundamentally and that's a rather difficult question because it really depends a lot on the um, on who the owners are because there have to be some owners eventually and then there could be aggregators or not again. necessarily on who the owners are but on where they stand in life for instance like the um in the point in your life where you need to be mobile it's um probably the right thing to rent um but if you rent for your entire life you will redistribute resources from um, you to um, people who own already capital um, and um, add to their capital but accumulation but again that goes to the idea of assets itself right so mm-hmm. now now mm-hmm. fixed property is not the only kind of assets the assets themselves could be financialized and they could have all kinds of assets um, at their disposal i i agree but i mean um, rent for most people is like a significant share of their their income in i i lived in in boston uh, for two years and um, there for most people rent is probably like 50% of their income right um in germany i would say in the bigger cities it's maybe a third of their income um disposable income let's say yeah um if you spend like half of your disposable income on 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 rent then your ability to accumulate capital yourself is 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 rather limited um because I mean, um, if you if you buy of your own then um, you you spend that money on on accumulating capital and therefore we um, could achieve like a somewhat more even uh, capital distribution um and i think that's desirable um although definitely there are situations in your life like periods in your life where you need to be mobile and where a house um, or an apartment or whatever can be more of a burden then something that um, helps you to um, accumulate capital and of course like for for people with very high incomes that doesn't matter none of this matters yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's the future prasad where are we headed <laughs> from where i come from and from where i see it you know uh, like i was uh, saying the 20th century is 
was shaped by law and accounts, the 21st century appears to be shaped by algorithms. And uh, for if, if the 20th century was about nucleating families, the 21st century appears to be about cellularized human beings, you know. And one can start seeing uh, from the way, you know, from where I started in the beginning of this uh, discussion, the idea, the, the boundaries are getting increasingly hardened, you know. One, one sees it so physically happening. So you mean happening. this in the sense of... Uh the boundaries people becoming more individuated that is one that is one part of it but actually you know the boundaries are becoming increasingly hardened we do not tend to cross over into each other's uh, private spaces you know tend to do it much lesser and in in physical uh, you know conditions you see gated communities you see these tall towers you see these completely you know uh, rehabilitated uh, resettlement colonies you see these kind of you know extremely isolated geographies but do you think that this notion of privacy is some kind of a counter reaction to something no i'm saying that it's not privacy it's privacy is 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 a is a, a byproduct of this the boundaries are getting hardened and therefore and that's to exclude the outside therefore there is there is an exclusion that 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 is taking place and it is consistent with the idea with with the uh, algorithm of the whole you know you know of of the way of the, uh, the the nature of the thing now you can you can imagine it you know as a as as a froth which is kind of you know which with which has individual cells and bubbles next to each other squeezed almost constantly bursting and you know forming and from a distance you won't even see whether whether it is made of these uh, uh, you know individual bubbles and uh, which are bursting and getting made again and again hopefully and this this, and this seems this sounds quite homogenized mm-hmm. exactly right? hopefully hopefully it will have the destiny of the froth which is basically you know this kind of but it might not have the destiny of the froth also it might have so i think i think as urbanists we try to kind of push to make to kind of you know make these boundaries a little towards softening these boundaries rather you know that is that is so so i see the future of space becoming spaces with hardened boundaries where you know as art Uh, work would be to then soften it probably you know how do you see the future the future distinction between private and um, public um i think the future will um at least the nearer future be driven a lot by the digitalization of the of the world and will all be a, a bit more vulnerable as private individuals um because we using our data um no i think we um we um have like a disadvantage in terms of technical ability and, and no matter how skilled what, we are what does the economist in you say um, on, on this public private distinction and uh, what the future might be like i think the um the distinction that i make as an economist will not uh, change a whole lot in the next few years and what will change is because in conceptually um it um it's actually very clear the distinction private and public what's not so clear but does does i mean obviously you've said that they're shifting and they're going up and down all the time do you think that there is in some sense um a new kind of economic model ahead no that's not the um the conceptual distinction between private and public i think that has been rather stable for a long time and i think it will be rather stable f- in the nearer future at least but what changes all the time is the um like the, the political process that's uh, drawing the the line between the two sure um and um and i think that is facing like challenges yeah? i mean the um and i don't want to create panic related to data in um sure. but um there, there's definitely a, a technical disadvantage of the individual with respect to um corporations and that no matter how skilled the individual is are always superior um and uh, i think most states um haven't um dealt with that adequately yet and um have to deal with that um in the coming years um 
So maybe that's why you transfer the baton back to Sudhir. Yeah. Uh, does law have to catch up? <laughs> law catching up? Um, I, I'll come at it from, from where Sebastian left it, which is to say that even if the puzzle remains, uh, we, we, we get what Prasad said, which is highly individuated selves of consumption and of labor and of family and, mm. and so on. But you also get but they're also the less strong... Fun. No, but the strong dominance of public norms. Mm. See, you know, if, if climate change and and other kinds of social norms that we think to be applicable. So this is a highly regulated, either socially or through markets or through the state, but highly individuated uh, senses of private, right? So I think that that puzzle will not go away. It, it'll just be configured quite differently from where we are now. Where, what does the law have to say about all this? I think that, you, you know, I feel that it, it, it goes like this in my mind, that uh, courts are always ahead of the game. They are creating new norms that uh, society is trying to catch up to. You know, they, and legislators are always catching up. Uh, they're playing catch up. The, the social is usually ahead of them. Hmm. And legislators come to the problem about 20 years after the problem has <laughs> Has, has kind of either gone away or has dissipated in some way. So my sense is that these dual modes of the law trying to figure out what's happening in the social will continue. Judges are always a little ahead of the curve uh, and judges in courts and legislators are breathlessly trying to catch up and, you know, the kind of the, they, they just muddle their way through somehow. Right, I hope you're end. not right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's a good note to end this on. Thanks to all of you for making it and we look forward to having you soon again. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you.